Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce this next guest. He is the CEO and founder of Crypto Stopper. Please welcome Greg Edwards. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, man. Um, I'm excited to have you on the pod. And for those who don't know, um, just tell me you know, about why you wanted to start your own company and particularly in the cybersecurity space. Sure. Well, for wanting to start my own company, I've got to back up a, a little ways. <laughs> I wanted to start my own company, I think, when I was 13. Um, and <laughs> I have have started, actually, CryptoStopper is the third um, company that I've started and have um, one successful exit, one that's still ongoing, and then CryptoStopper that's still ongoing. So, <laughs> um, so really it all it all came from um seeing my dad as an entrepreneur um and wanting to be able to have that that kind of control and lifestyle i would say um so then in and technology from a young age was a, a passion of mine um and something that i really enjoyed and so then when i was old enough to uh to have a real job that's that's what i did <laughs> And, and started my first company when I was 24. That's awesome. And talk about having that entrepreneurial spirit at an early age, because obviously it's not, you don't just, I mean, obviously you had those ideas, but you don't just start a business. Um, there's a lot of work and preparation that goes into that. It, absolutely. So it, it did, um, it was something that I worked for a software company and then worked for another consulting company, put together a business plan. Um, I would say at 24 in 1998, when I started the first company, that it, it was much more fly by the seat of my pants <laughs> than the two um, two additional companies that I've started since then. But yeah, I mean, a, a ton of planning that goes in. But I'm also one that that doesn't overplan and takes action as opposed to just planning. I think it's a combination of planning and then massive action that makes a makes a company successful. For sure. And talk about the importance of execution, um, because I would imagine like everybody has like ideas that they come up on a daily basis. And I would imagine, you know, we would all love to start our own businesses, but talk about the execution, being able to put, you know, metal to the floor and just being able to execute. Okay. I'm going to go and start a business. I want this to happen. Talk about formulating that execution and what that was like. Yeah. So, you know, in the, the very first company that I started, um, which was a managed services business, it really was about, getting out and, and hustling to meet new, <laughs> meet new prospective clients. And it was, I mean, back in those days, pre, um, pre auto automation, uh, marketing <laughs> automation, it was knocking on doors and picking up, picking up the phone, um, and networking. So, you know, really going out and hustling and then, you know, that's, that's changed a lot, but there's still, a huge amount of hustle and any, you know, any overnight success is never an overnight success. There's years and years of preparation and hard work that go into an overnight success. 
Yeah, for sure. And did you think, um, you know, what were some of the early failures um, that you experienced that you were able to learn from to have later, you know, succeed and push through some of those early failures early on in your career? Yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> not sure where to start <laughs> with the, the failures. I'm a, I'm a fail fast and learn from your mistakes kind of person. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, th I think that some of the biggest mistakes I've made probably were in in hiring the wrong people. Um, so learning that through experience, I don't, I don't know how else to, to explain that and how my management style has changed over the years. I'm very transparent and, and still have employee issues, but not nearly as many as I did very early on. Um, yeah, so so I think that the biggest issue is is people and and getting the right people. And I always want to hire people that are much smarter than I am. That's that's one of one thing that I always try to do um, because having the right set of people involved in the company is is critical. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about the people piece um, for young entrepreneurs. Why do you think that is a challenge at first? Um, I, you know, I think that the the biggest thing is just having that lack of experience. So having others not take you seriously, um, it can be an issue. I think, I think I overcame that through brute brute force, and I don't I don't want to say brute force and that I was mean, but just in working harder than at everyone else in the company, even as the, the owner, you think of the business owner as, oh, they just sit back and cash the checks and relax. Well, <laughs> it's, it's just a, a, a complete opposite of that. Generally, the business owner is the one that is working the 80-hour weeks and only expecting 60-hour weeks from the rest of the team. Exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, for somebody who wants to get into entrepreneurship, what are some key traits to things that you've been able to be successful at? And what do you think someone who wants to have their own business one day, what when they, what traits do you think they must have? So well? I think persistence is probably the, the biggest trait that, that I have that's led to my success. Um, just knowing no, so knowing when you're doing the right thing and then being persistent to get through the, the failures and the hardships to overcome that. Um, so it, and it's, it's hard to know when, when you've got to stop because there are times where it is something is a failure and there's, you learn your mistakes, but there's nothing that you can do to fix it. And it is just purely a failure. Um, and recognizing between when that's the case versus when you just have to keep learning and keep persisting through. For sure. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there with uh, persistence. So what are some misconceptions? You mentioned uh, the hours, but what are some other misconceptions that you think individuals have 
about entrepreneurship and running your own business? Um, I, I mean, I think one of the biggest is just thinking that, okay, I'm an expert in this field and I know more than everyone that's around me about it. So I should, I should be running my own company or I should go start my own company. And there's so much more to it than just the individual expertise of one individual field. I mean, there's all of the components of being a business owner and understanding the accounting side of it, um, understanding the people side of it, understanding product management side of it, and build, being able to build a team around all of those things. And a lot of times having to learn on the fly when you, when you can't hire someone to do those things. So being everything from the, the janitor to the CFO uh, are, are duties of the CEO. And, and that's, um, that's something that anyone looking to start an entrepreneurial quest has to realize. And most of us aren't going to be able to come up with an idea that you can just go get millions of dollars in funding and start up. It's, it's typically a major grind to either have the funds yourself or go find the funds, those initial funds to get started and then get it going and get traction. I mean, that's the, that's the hardest piece of starting a new business is proving that there's a market for it and being able to go prove that traction, get that traction, and then either get funding to maintain the traction or be able to have enough traction that it, it funds itself. For sure. And talk about the funding piece, whether that comes from, you know, investors or whether you're putting in your own money, uh, talk about how vital that is to whether, you know, whether you're successful in it or whether you're trying to build a sustainable business, talk about the grind of that and how challenging. Yeah. So I I've done, um, I've done it always from the, um, (laughs) purely bootstrap with no outside funding and just starting from zero and growing. Um, that's, that's the most difficult and the most time time consuming and takes years and years to get going. Um, and then the, the next taking investment dollars or investing my own money, um, really either way you look at that, whether it's you're investing your own capital or getting outside investors, you really have to be able to prove that there's a market fit for what you're doing a, and then B go get actual paying customers consistently uh, to be able to prove out that yes, there is market fit and yes, people will pay money for what it is that you are providing. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about that, that market fit. So talk about your process. Um, obviously you don't have to give away your secret sauce, but what is your strategy when you're finding that first customer um, you know, when you start, when you're yeah, starting a so, business? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's interesting for me because being in the technology industry and having enough of a network, I can go, I could, and this this may sound conceited or egotistic, but I can take a, a product that I believe in and I have enough of a network that I could get somewhere between 25 and 50 
clients to sign up for that just in asking them to. So, you know, that's for me made starting additional companies after the first one easier, but having that network is really important to go see, okay, those, those people will sign up. They see that there is value in it. And then it, it allows that to be a stepping stone to then go and find additional clients. So having a, having a solid network of whether those are trusted advisors or other business owners that believe in you and allow you to use them for lack of a better word, use them as guinea pigs um, is invaluable and, and has been a way that, that I've been able to, to start multiple companies and have that initial traction and then be able to build upon that. For sure. When you talk about the network piece, how, invite how vital has um the expansion of technology been and guiding you know expanding network uh things like linkedin things like you know which really taken off now like virtual events um how has that helped uh you know being a business yeah so, so i mean that's still for me still evolving i mean i've been in this long enough that um it really was the much more of the traditional network of people that, you know, and not that, not that we are doing this today, but going out and shaking hands and actually meeting <laughs> people. Um, so that kind of a network to now um, my LinkedIn um, network is a little over 8,000 and followers and that I meet people every day that you, you couldn't have met. 20 years ago when I started in this. So that <laughs> that's been um, absolutely beneficial. I, it honestly hasn't been long enough. I, I know that there's benefit, but I haven't been able to quantify it yet. And that's something that we're actually working to do is to be able to tie those, those connections that are coming through that way to actual ROI and actual sales. And we're, we're doing it and we have all the marketing automation tools, but it's a, it's, it's a process of, of learning and figuring it out. For sure. Yeah. As always with technology, it's a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it definitely is. Yeah, for sure. And, and talk about what you are doing with Crypto Stopper and the mission behind, you know, starting that yeah, business so in particular. That, so Crypto Stopper really started out of the previous business that I owned that was an offsite backup and disaster recovery. And just seeing the number of businesses that were hit by ransomware and the, the disruption that that was causing, even when they had a great backup solution. So we had a, I built an offsite backup and disaster recovery company that really was a cloud-based company before the cloud as we know it today existed. Um, mm. And we, we were able to recover companies and get them back into using their primary systems within two hours. And this was on-site systems wow that we were replicating to our, our cloud infrastructure and then could bring them live within two hours. But it, that 
still caused massive disruption when they were hit by ransomware. And all of our backups were all encrypted. You know, all of the things that are recommended as best practices today for backup, we were doing back as early as 2007. Um, and so ransomware came on the scene in 2012 with, um, with the advent of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency being available. And that's what really allowed the rise of ransomware to take place. And I was seeing firsthand what that was doing to businesses when they would get hit by ransomware, even when they had a good backup and could recover quickly, still, you know, hours and hours, if not 24 to 36 hours of downtime just to get them back up and, and running it at normal and decided that there's got to be a better solution to this. And there's got to be a way to stop these ransomware attacks once they start running. And that's exactly why uh, my myself and my team built CryptoStopper to be that last line of defense when ransomware gets past the traditional antivirus, which happens 77% of the time in ransomware attacks that the company attacked had up-to-date antivirus, um, that we detect that attack and stop it in less than a second after it's gotten past all the other defenses. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's huge. And how would you, you know, describe uh, ransomware uh, being different than, you know, a typical virus uh, you know, within, uh, you know, your personal devices. Yeah, or so there's the really, um, on the initial infection side of it, there's no no difference. I mean, it has become more and more sophisticated over the years. But if you go back to the very first viruses, so the I love you bug was one of the very first viruses that I dealt with, I believe in 2001. And that was before people didn't even have antivirus at all back then. Um, it was just just starting to come on the scene. Um, but there were always viruses that got through. So if you look back um, as far as 2001 and the viruses and malware that were getting through, they just didn't cause the kind of damage that ransomware causes. So again, with, with Bitcoin cryptocurrency being available after 2012, then those attackers could get paid. And so the easiest and fastest way for them to get paid was with ransomware to encrypt the file. So it's, it's a malware infection or a virus infection, just like any in the past that would have come through, but now with a massively damaging payload. And that is that, that ransom side of it and the encryption side of it that is that payload. Yeah, for sure. And talk about how, you know, your company is preventing that or not preventing it, but helping companies adjust and, and stay functioning when. Yeah. An so if you walk through happen. what what normally happens in a ransomware attack, the malware. So the malware is executed. It goes out and it looks at all of the data that's connected to that user that was infected and starts encrypting it. And usually the IT manager doesn't realize that's happening until someone within the organization says, hey, I can't open this Excel document or this database is failing <laughs> and I can't 
get into it anymore. And they start looking, and this could be um, anywhere from hours and hours to days into this thing running. So it's just in the background churning through and encrypting all of the data that the user that was initially infected has access to, which in many environments, um, they're very flat environments and not segmented. So that a lot of times is everything. And we'll go through and continue encrypting once it has exhausted itself, meaning that it's encrypted everything that it has access to, then it pops up the ransom note and says, hey, if you want access to these files, please pay $460,000 in Bitcoin <laughs> to this Bitcoin wallet. And that's, that's what happens in a successful ransomware attack. What we do is we intervene and are watching for that encryption activity. And once that encryption actually starts happening, we stop it in less than a second. So there, there is always some collateral damage. I mean, sometimes we will stop it and get it stopped before it hits any of the native data files. But typically there's somewhere between five and 10 of the native data files on the system that are still encrypted and hit. Um, and those do have to be recovered from backup. But compared to having five files as collateral damage, as opposed to 5 million files and everything on the network, we feel like that that's a good trade-off. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about you know, the ransomware attacks specifically, where, you know, obviously 2020 was, you know, a transition for everybody. So are, are the attackers seizing that or did see that as an opportunity? And how can remote employees be protected at home from these yep. Yeah, so um, I, there haven't been any definitive numbers that have come out for 2020 yet, but the initial numbers look like about a seven-fold increase in ransomware attacks in 2020 versus 2019. Uh, and a lot of that was because of that switch to remote working and less secure environments because of that. And so, I mean, the fundamentals still have to be put in place and then Crypto Stopper as that last line of defense. So when I say fundamentals, um, that's the fully layered security stack, which we feel Crypto Stopper should absolutely be a part of. So your traditional antivirus and firewall, I mean, those have to be in place, but the, really the perimeter of the network is no longer. Um, so firewalls, while they still have to be in place, aren't, it, it just aren't, aren't what they used to be. Um, and then patch <laughs> management, user education, um, good DR plan. I mean, there's a whole, doing all of the things that a company should be doing from a cybersecurity standpoint and a layered defense, uh, and then adding crypto stopper to that. So really hasn't, in my opinion, hasn't changed in the work from home environment. It's just made it more difficult without the right automated tools and having the asset control 
is the big thing and making sure that those employees that are working from home, that they're using a company controlled device and not the same device that their kids and spouse and everybody else are also using. Um, and I know that that's not entirely possible in every scenario, but that's where we need a, as small, medium and large businesses. That's where we need to get to if, if you want to be secure. For sure. And you talk about the education piece. Um, obviously, uh, the remote work environment uh, definitely shifted and brought to light uh, cybersecurity and the focus of employees being protected, even if they're not in brick and mortar offices. So talk about how businesses in the corporate environment are you know being proactive about cybersecurity? Yeah. You know, now so when you take that that network device, or you take the laptop, and now it's no longer it's it's primarily not within a brick and mortar office. You still have to do everything that would have been done had that device been in the office. So the user has to have a firewall at their house. Um, the user has to have patch management so that an automated system that is installed on that device to inventory it then also ensure that it's up to date with all the patches. The antivirus, the same thing. I mean, it's all about having automated systems to not only install those updates, make sure that antivirus is up to date, make sure CryptoStopper is up to date, make sure all of the applications, including Windows and all of the Windows applications are up to date, and then having a management system to be able to see all of that, no matter where the devices are. So that's, I mean, that's where it has to start is that inventory management, knowing what devices are the company's devices, and then layering on top of that all of the additional pieces and training being a part of that. So with ransomware, um, still even, even today, just over 50% of ransomware attacks happen through phishing. So that hasn't changed. I mean, that percentage has gone down some and the vectors have expanded, um, but email is still the number one vector for ransomware attacks. So training employees on not clicking on everything that comes through in an email and not trusting email is the big thing. So it's it's still all of the same things. It's just that the the environment of where those things are has changed. For sure. And, you know, it's huge. You talk about education. You talk about um, understanding what it is. And you talked about the education of the employee. I mean, it sounds so simple, yet big companies uh, like Twitter, Marriott, Nintendo still had breaches within their organizations, you know, in 2020. So talk about how important is it to have the employees within their organization educated about. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's on. absolutely critical, but it, it, it's, lowers, I mean, every piece of the cybersecurity stack that's put into into place 
lowers the business's risk of being attacked. And, and so education being a part of that has to be there. I mean, in my opinion, it's something that corporations, like it's not optional anymore, that that is something that has to be done. Now, that being said, the, the attackers are continually evolving. So it's also not something that it's a once and done. It's something that has to continually be done. And then within an organization, it also needs to not be punitive if someone does does click through one of those things. That needs to be seen as an educational event uh, and hopefully the layers in place to stop it even when the user does click on it because the users are still going to click on it um, because we, we can't, I don't think we can ever train 100% to know the difference between an email that comes from the CEO and one that just looks really good like it came from the CEO. So, um, but it, it's all about lowering the risk and making sure that the employees aren't just assuming that because it came through the corporate email system that it's got to be safe. And, it, you know, it goes through all the layers of, of spam, spam and virus filtering. So they may think that it's going to be secure and that's not necessarily the case. So those employees have to be trained and, and have to be tested too. I mean, that's the other thing with phishing is that we should take that opportunity of those high, high, high clickers and train them and, and test them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there with, um, with education and testing and things like that. Obviously there's uh, security awareness programs out there. Um, but talk about on, on the corporate side with companies still being vulnerable to attacks when, you know, uh, like, you know, corporate America, these, there's, these are big companies with a lot of resources still being vulnerable. Yeah. To attacks so, I mean, one of the problems that we have is that there are not enough cybersecurity specialists out there. So I, I think a lot of companies still today are not either they're not taking cybersecurity seriously or they can't hire the right people um, to be able to secure their environments. And, and those, those things have to come from the top down. So it really takes the CEO and the board to say, okay, we are going to take cybersecurity seriously. So what does that mean? That means that the CEO and the board has to educate themselves on what is defense in depth, what is layered security. And they don't need to necessarily know the ins and outs of how to implement that, but they need to know how, how to read a report on patch management that shows that 97% of every available patch is installed across their entire environment. And they need to understand the importance of that. And that's really the shift. Um, like if you look back at the target breach that happened in 2014, um, that <laughs> back then, everyone pretty much still considered target to be a victim um, and that, you know, they, they 
weren't able to protect themselves against these cyber attackers. Well, that mindset has completely changed now. <coughs> and companies are no longer viewed as victims. They're viewed as, oh, they, they didn't take cybersecurity seriously, so they got attacked. Of course they did. And so the CEOs and boards have to take that threat seriously and implement the right, you know, first hire the right CISOs to oversee that implementation and then put the budgets in place to, to be able to do it. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to see these, these breaches. And I, I think it's going to take another, um, it's going to take another five to 10 years to get that through, unfortunately. I mean, I, I think we're going to continue to see this escalation in cyber attacks for at least the next five to 10 years until companies are are all taking this seriously and make it you know, really take away the opportunity for these attackers. Because once we make it so hard for these attackers to make money, that's when these problems will go away and they, and they won't really ever completely go away. I mean, they're, they're still going to be out there and we'll be protecting ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I see it indefinitely. Um, as long as, as long as cryptocurrency exists, which I also don't see cryptocurrency going away. <laughs> Is, that's not just a fad? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't, uh, I don't think so. I think, I, the I think it's here to stay here for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, but you talk about, you know, the next five to 10 years, real progress, but we're talking about companies that have uh, a ton of a ton of backing a, a lot of reputation too and you talk about they're not seen as victims at the point so why when they have you know these big companies and, and and a lot of revenue for them why does why does cybersecurity kind of take a back seat still well i mean i think um, it's it's a combination of things i mean i think it's a lack of understanding uh, a lack of <laughs> lack of management education, honestly, um, and then not realizing the the true risk to the business. And so one thing that that I think businesses need to do and that, that I always recommend when, when talking with a business owner is to do a business risk analysis and look at where's the risk to your business? Where where do you make money? And how does technology affect that? And how could cyber attackers affect that revenue model? And in almost every case, cyber attackers could have a very significant impact on that revenue model if it's not properly protected. So that's, I think that that's the big thing is that those CEOs and boards need to look at the risk of not taking cybersecurity seriously and determine for themselves what's what budget would be appropriate to protect those those business assets. For sure. And talk about the talent um, and, and growth within cybersecurity from an individual standpoint. 
Um, how important is it for individuals to get into the cybersecurity space? And do you see that there may be a talent gap or is there just, you know, other barriers that are presenting itself to why yeah, some so companies are having right now, that, that challenge? Right now, latest report that I saw others? that there's three and a half million is a shortage gap of three and a half million cybersecurity professionals. So the even, even if companies, and that might be a barrier why companies and CEOs and boards just continue to put their head in the sands. They say, Oh, we just, we won't be able to hire the right people to be able to handle this. I think that's a pretty weak excuse. Um, but yeah, there's a, a huge, <laughs> shortage in the in the cybersecurity professionals and i think one of the big reasons for that is because this is an industry that essentially exploded overnight i mean in in terms of business change i don't i'm sure there have been other changes that have happened this rapidly but cybersecurity really was not a problem i mean it was a problem but it wasn't a serious problem like it is today prior to 2012. And prior to 2012, cybersecurity essentially involved having a firewall and antivirus. If you were, if you were an unregulated, if you weren't a bank um, or other regulated mm -hmm. industry, typical business, firewall and antivirus prior to 2012 was all you needed. Introduce cryptocurrency and the fact that the cyber attackers can get paid completely anonymously, and that happened in 2012, then that changed everything. And so that industry in less than 10 years time went from being a mild, a nuisance, a mild nuisance where we as IT professionals, when there was a malware infection, you would just re-image the affected machine and, and go back to business as usual. Well, now you can't do that anymore. And it's so much more than a mild nuisance. It can, can put you out of business. And so I think that, that that's been the change that happened. And that's why there's such a shortage in the talent pool. And, and then also the fact that it really takes in my opinion, it takes a minimum of five years of actual experience within technology, whether that be software, hardware, or infrastructure. One of those categories that takes five years of experience within one of those categories, and then a couple more years of specific cybersecurity experience to really have the talent to consider yourself a cybersecurity expert. Now there, there certainly are talented kids coming. I mean, I've seen some high school kids that would blow away um, <laughs> some of the, the cybersecurity quote unquote experts out there. Um, but it's just not, it's not as easy to get into cybersecurity as, as software, hardware, or infrastructure just straight away because you have to have that experience first. For sure. And um, talk about the credential piece and 
how vital is that? You talked about, you know, the five-year grants and talk about, you know, if somebody's interested in getting into cybersecurity, how they can build upon getting those credentials, you know, as, as maybe as quick as possible. For sure, yeah. I mean, you know, really I, I think that on, on the skills piece. someone that really is young and talented that wants to be in cybersecurity, some of the the easiest ways to do that really, and this is going to sound bad, but be a hacker, um, learn how, learn how to think like a hacker and develop those skills. And then probably one of the, the first certificates beyond some of the, the basic and initial, um, networking and security certificates would be the certified ethical hacker certificate so that that certification walks the person through essentially being a white hat hacker and that really to me i mean if you wanted to fast track a cybersecurity education learning how to be a hacker without breaking any laws um, is important <laughs> um, but learning to think like a hacker and learning how to hack ethically is is the fastest way to get into the cybersecurity space. For sure. And how important is having certifications and, you know, how, you know, when when companies are looking for jobs, are there ways that companies help provide yeah, yeah. So I, I do think that the certifications, the certifications are very important. I think that sometimes there can be overemphasis on the certifications, um, but it is it is something that's important to me <laughs> in in looking at hiring um, hiring people. And really, what the certification does is it it proves that you you have the talent at least to pass the test. Now, there's a lot a lot of other components that go into being successful in the cybersecurity industry beyond just being able to pass the test. I mean, A, you've got to be able to pass the test and then you, you've got to be able to have the, <laughs> the skills to actually implement. So um, I think, it, and to, to give you a, a, just a preview into what we do at CryptoStopper, um, we provide a $2,000 a year budget for any certifications that, that, people want to take um, and then we'll add to that for um, specialized. If there's a, a specific training or boot camp that someone wants to go to, we'll add to that $2,000. But just as a, as a, as a perk of being an employee, every employee has a $2,000 annual budget um, for certifications. Yeah, I mean, that's huge and love it. And I wanted to touch on the consumer side because obviously uh, cybersecurity wouldn't be complete without uh, the consumer side as well. And with the, you know, continuous involvement of social media, um, you know, there's a lot of data out there. So talk about the importance of consumers being protected. Obviously, when attacks happen, um, there's a certain group that, attackers tend to go after, um, you know, whether that's uh, the elderly, 
um, you know, people, and that's that's really a shame that right. <laughs> because a lot of times they don't always have the support. But how can we as consumers be more educated? Well, I think that and, that and helping you friends and family touched on something there that helping our elderly friends and family to and again it, it starts with some education. And I mean, the first thing is anyone that that you know that has a computer, is over the age of 50, that tell them never to let Microsoft connect to their machine and work on it, or or anyone else for that matter. But Microsoft, the attackers <laughs> posing as Microsoft techs is the most common way. But, you know, that's that's something that we should all be educating our, our elderly friends and family and, well, or or anyone else that may not be technically savvy that um, absolutely cannot let other people that you don't absolutely know connect to your computer because that's that's the the number one way that the elderly are being um, being taken advantage of right now um, so that's one and then you know the other just some basics from a cybersecurity hygiene standpoint so making sure you have antivirus making sure it's up to date um, making sure that Windows updates are turned on if it's a PC or with a Mac, making sure that you're installing all of the updates as they're pushed out. Um, that's, it's, it's just critical and it's something that every consumer needs to do. Um, and then I would say beyond that, um, getting a good password management application, so a good password manager to just randomly create and generate passwords for you. I, I can't tell you how many people that I've recommended that to directly. And they have come back to me, whether months or even years later and said, that was such a great recommendation. And they don't know any of their passwords anymore, which is the way it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you touch on the password piece. How important is it to have, you know, a unique password to almost everything you touch and have yeah. a password manager, whether that's an app or something, so that everything is protected and, um, you know, you don't have any simple. Yeah, I mean, so when you, you look at what the attack. top 10,000 or even just make it easier, look at the top 10 most common passwords. I just looked at this earlier this week and the most number one most common password still being <laughs> used today is drum roll please password. Uh, so still, still today. Uh, wow, seriously. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And and the thing wow. is, so <laughs> the attackers or the the cyber criminal community maintains a top 10,000 passwords that are used. And so they'll run a, what's called a dictionary attack against whatever. I mean, think of um, any, any login that you use that's not multi-factor authentication protected. Um, they'll run that attack over and over <laughs> on it. And it takes, um, it's depending on the speed of the computer, um, a matter of minutes to maybe definitely less than an hour to run through those 10,000 passwords. So if you're using 
winter 2021 exclamation point as your password, it's not secure. And people should know that. So um, I, I think that's <laughs> another critical piece, pr critical compete component that consumers should be utilizing as a password manager. And, and then also, I mean, you think about how many people use the same password over and over for all of their logins. So all an attacker has to do is crack one of those and then could have access to every single login that you have. Um, so, I mean, I've been using a password manager for so long. I, I don't even remember what it was like to not have one. Um, <laughs> but to give you an example, I, I think the last time I looked, I had 748 logins saved in my password manager. And I don't know any of them. I mean, they're all, I usually, I try to use a 24 character <laughs> random password. Um, some, some places still have a maximum of 12 or 16 characters, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So I think it's critical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And you talk about, you know, the, the simplicity, it's definitely something that when creating a password, you don't want to have. So talk about when somebody, you talk about them running, you know, an attack. What's the, what's the difference between them running it maybe on a word? Or, well, or so I mean, the, the big the, thing is um, really the password there. length. So having a, a passphrase is the most, that's now the most common and secure way to have good passwords. Um, so, and, and again, that length being over 12 characters, and I would say 14 characters, that's what, that's what gets you out of that top 10,000 password list and makes it difficult to crack. So, and when I say crack, it's literally, that's what they're just trying passwords over and over and over. And you go from, if you have an, an eight-character fairly common password um, or even an eight-character random password that might take, you know, that might take 24 to 36 hours to, to crack. If you go to a 14-character random password, it takes thousands of years to crack that and not something that's, that's even reasonably going to be possible. Wow. So uh, length does matter if you have anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, oh, uh, I mean, when you, when you think about that and you try to go in and, <laughs> and type in a random password, that's 12 characters, it's fairly hard, but put in a, I love doing podcasts as your, <laughs> as your password and it becomes easier. Um, so that passphrase, and I, and I still <laughs> would add numbers and a, um, a symbol to that. Um, it makes it much easier to remember. But again, mm -hmm. if you use a password manager, you only have to have one of those. So have one 16-character passphrase, and you're going to be so much more secure. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's, that's hit the nail on the head there. You want to make sure that you're doing 
uh, being proactive about it. So on the consumer side, when you, when you know, like say something, cause I've, um, you know, have experience with this when you, you know, I've had, you know, relatives and, and friends have, you see something like, say, for instance, you get an email or you see something on your calendar that you did not create. And it's just all this um, nonsense. Uh, what can you do about that? And ha- how do you know or can you tell? If yeah. So, I mean, there are um, and, I mean, there, there are certainly ways that. to be able to go and find out um, typically on the dark web to find that out. But I would say, I mean, for the general consumer, if they if something odd like that happens uh, the best thing is to delete and ignore it um i mean unless they think and, and i mean people should be monitoring their bank accounts monitoring their credit cards make sure there's not any nefarious activity <clears throat> happening there but you know when you see those hmm. um because i i mean i have i i'm certain some of the best protection in the world on my email but i still get that kind of thing that comes through. Um, so delete and ignore is, <laughs> is my general rule, even for myself and what I would recommend to, to most people. Um, we do, we actually have a lab where we'll detonate those things. So when I see some particularly interesting ones, I'll send it over to my engineers um, to detonate in the lab and see, see what they do. <clears throat> That's awesome. I got I'm sure. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah, obviously yeah. that's gotta be a lot of but, fun. You know, you say, hey, grandma, grandma um, probably let's, doesn't let's have see what that happens. option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, mean, I think one of the most of interesting like ones, and, uh, um, was actually a ransomware called jigsaw that was sent through. Are you familiar with that variant? Um, mm. <laughs> it, it actually, so it's, it's based on the jigsaw movie, it. which yeah. has a, uh, <laughs> which is a horror movie that has this character, um, with a, a jigsaw face. Um, <laughs> and, and <laughs> at the, once the ransomware runs, then it, it takes over the machine that it's running on and pops that face up with the, with the ransom note. So that's probably the most interesting one that i've seen come through but there's all kinds of ones that we've run in the lab where you know they may look like they do nothing um, or create a scheduled task that would then go out and and try to download um, what they call a dropper file um, so yeah i mean it's 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 fun to be able to have that technology to be in the field and and i mean obviously i'm a i'm a geek that loves that kind of thing um, so it's exciting to me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, so, I mean, well, um, for me personally, I mean, it, it was, it was just ingrained from an early age. Um, but I would say people coming up that uh, it's kind of like the, the, our joke <laughs> about the internet not going away. I mean, technology and the rate of change is not going away. I, I think that we're going to see over the next 50 years um, just an incredible change in technology, even at a more rapid pace than we've already seen it. So why not be a part of that? 
Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, Greg, it was a pleasure having you on the pod. And, you know, for sure. So, out, um, our website is getcryptostopper.com. And if you, if people wanted to email me directly, it's gedwards at getcryptostopper.com. It will go through an extensive, uh, spam and virus filter. So please send away, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure um yeah i appreciate coming to the pod and yeah let's uh let's keep yeah, those businesses absolutely. And I agree. protected uh you know day in and day out right <laughs> all right thanks for having me <laughs>